0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special holiday week edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, the road warrior, the Mad Max of the Welland area, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how you doing, buddy?
1: (laughs) Great. How are you, Damien?
0: Oh, amazing, man. Amazing. Well, we're back from tour, and you... You you drove you drove them roads. You drove them roads in a way that would make uh Henry Rollins and the rest of the people that got in that van uh, uh weak with uh, envy of your skills at that road.
1: <laughs> It'd been a while, but uh yeah, I suppose I don't know. I guess I did well. Felt good. It definitely felt awesome. like a tour because it wasn't a van, so it was just it was easy breezy for me. I don't know. I yeah, no and we're problem. gonna we are
0: gonna talk about all this. But we're going to yeah. save it for the month of January. We're, we're going to be doing a recap of the Turned Out of Punk live tour. Um, and we're going to have special footnotes each and every week with the contributors. Um, and uh, we will be uh, – yeah, we will be uh, having a good time. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, but today, because it's the holidays and because literally everyone in my house except for me is <laughs> is sick with this crazy vomiting stomach flu – that like I've watched them go down one by one. I might get sick at any second, to be honest, but I'm more worried about having to run to care for one of them at any second. So we're going to forego the mailbag this week, save it all for next week. Chris, we're going to have to deal with a lot of mailbag next week. I think. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we've got a lot to deal with over the next, like, whatever, a few episodes at the very least, because we're going to do the 10 inches and the comps. Oh, and fuck yeah. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to really devote time to that. It's just been, because, like, the holidays, I'm sure most people out there will understand, just hasn't really been feasible, and we went away pretty much the week prior. Yes. So uh, it's just been a very, and Damien's been especially busy. So we we will get on track, but for now, yeah, we're just rolling kind of off the cuff.
0: Yeah, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be keeping it kind of short. I don't think we've got any new stuff to talk about. We, we talked about the death of George Michael. Um, yeah,
1: that's probably the biggest item, I would think.
0: Yeah, so like you know, obviously, New Wave being the most direct offshoot of Punk, and Wham being arguably one of the one of the larger acts that kind of emerge on the poppier side. I guess we'd call that soft New Wave. If we're doing hard New Wave. You know, a couple weeks ago on Footnotes, Wham! is yeah. the soft new wave side. But, like, you know, a, a good band all the same. And, like, as I kind of wrote on my Twitter and, uh, you know, it it, it it that was the record my mom got me in 1987 on cassette. So uh, the cassette she got me in 1987 for Christmas was George Michael's Faith album. And I fucking love the shit out of them, some of those songs.
1: <laughs> That's really funny. The only, I mean, I'm obviously aware of George Michael, but I never really, I'd uh, be lying if I said I really got ever into his music. I mean, obviously, I'm aware of like who Wham were and his, you know, solo career to an extent, but only in the sense of like sort of the pop music rotation of the time. Um, mm-hmm. But the funniest thing, I, and I always look back, um, and I don't know, it's just like, I had uh, uh, the only, my first experience that I really vividly recall was I had uh, cousins, uh, female cousins, who were very, very into faith, and like he was this gigantic sex symbol to them. And thinking back now, actually, because I didn't realize um, when I was reading obituaries of, of his passing, um, I didn't realize that he didn't really come out until the late, I think it was the later 90s, mid to late 90s, I believe. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of people were aware. Of, of this you know who are close to him or at least kind of had a clue but uh at that time he was just like you know your atypical heterosexual <laughs> sex symbol it seemed and uh my cousins were obsessed with him at the time and so I look back kind of that's that's my only really old school vivid memory of, of like listening to his music but it was definitely that faith record that you're talking about um but yeah it's funny and then just thinking about that idea of him being I mean wham to me was sort of I don't know, like when, when you look back, it seems to be fairly overt, but I don't, I guess it w- wasn't at the time, I don't know, I, I wasn't old enough, I really, to really recall, but it's kind of weird thinking about that, like someone could be closeted and be such a public figure that people didn't know, I don't, I, I just find that kind of a strange scenario to this day.
0: Well, yeah, I think it was a different time, right? Like, I think him coming out was yeah. part of the era of it being a little more, and this is coming from two straight Oh, like identified straight guys, but like yeah. where it became a little more uh, common for celebrities to be openly gay. Like it, it's, you know, and once again, like, you know, to, to crassly try and tie this all back into punk, but it's, it's Lance loud, like the uh, singer of the mumps, who was the first ever openly gay TV personality. Um, and that's only in like the late seventies, late, late seventies that happens. And I can the eighties, right? Like, What's that? What's yeah, that? He was just, on that show. I think
1: what... Yeah, I can't remember about it. Sorry, I go on. I, I, the only reason, reason why I bring that up is I think it's it's my sort of point I was just trying to make, is I think it is sort of um, oddly important, not to define someone obviously by their sexuality solely, but it's important to note that like people like this were real trailblazers in a sense, even despite being pop sort of icons or whatever, and normally that's seen as like a vapid, shallow, kind of lame world, but... Um, I did always have a sort of, uh, amount of respect for George Michael over the years as much as like, I just been thinking about the last couple of days, but yeah, I never had any kind of like, uh, resentment toward him for whatever reason. And maybe it's related to that. I don't know. But, um, anyway, yeah, but I never really got terribly into his music, but, uh, I don't know if you found that thing you were looking up, Dave.
0: I did. I it was 1974, the show oh, was last broad. Oh, that was the last broadcast in, in England. Sorry. So it ran from 71 to 73. Yeah. Um and it was the first ever reality TV show and it's called The An American Family. And Lance Loud was the uh you know the son. His real name is what is his real name? I don't anyway. know. Anyway, Lance Loud is his name, but he went on from the Mumps. and he was the first openly gay TV character. And that's not until like the mid seventies or early mid seventies, right? So yeah. you know, by the time George Michael kind of came out, yeah, he was like I guess he would go on obviously to become a gay icon, but certainly wasn't openly gay till later in his career, but a, uh, a, a well-defined sex symbol for everyone. You know, I, yeah. I recognized it as a, a young person of budding, uh, heterosexuality. I was like, this guy is a good looking dude that can take <laughs> a Total. perfectly shaped ass in that video.
1: regardless yeah he was uh i don't have any like immediate experience with his music unfortunately so i feel a bit remiss discussing him uh in passing but yeah um you know sad day or whatever it's crazy he died so young that's always the thing that's weird to me yeah just like it's been a weird year for that i mean some people were you know older who've passed this year of note but um just seems young, 53. It was like, you know, Joe Strummer was 50,
0: I think. Well, it's gonna, yeah, be, I think with him, like, that's the thing with, with, with Prince, it was opiates. You know, it's like the same yeah. thing that's been killing people in music for, for fucking ever. And it's the thing that's killed people, yeah. you know, and, it, and it's kind of the great equalizer in music. If it can kill a, a music legend, like Prince, in, in, in the same sort of like few year span that it takes, like local people in the Toronto music, it's like shit like yeah. fentanyl and, and, and these sort of like, or like, I forget, was it fentanyl or was it like the even crazier,
1: heavier opiate? I can't remember. I knew but, it was, yeah, something related. I'm not sure specifically, but yeah. Man, yeah, but I don't know if heavy. that's related to what, what, uh, what yeah, George I don't think it has anything to do with George Michael okay. at all. <laughs> no. But yeah, I'm always, that's usually my first assumption someone dies so young, to be honest, but. Um, anyway, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, not to put anything on him because obviously it hasn't come out what, what it was, uh, you know, or like they said it was natural causes peacefully in his sleep Yeah, is what I heard. But, you know, at 53, that's like, Oh God, that's, I don't go, I don't know. None of us have a lot of time. If that's when you can peacefully go in your
1: sleep. Well, and he was, uh, you know, he was a, a physical specimen that seemed to be in his prime too, like in terms of yeah. his life. He wasn't He wasn't a, didn't look to be an unhealthy guy. So, yeah, it's always scary when you look at situations like that. But you know, you never know.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, it, well it'll come out, and that's something we do not talk about on this show ever. When yeah. all this stuff really comes out. So anyway, but uh, at this point, uh, rest in peace, George Michael, and thank you for. The music of my soundtrack of Christmas '87 for sure. Um, (laughs) Run DMC and uh, and 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 George Michael's Faith were like the defining '86 '87 soundtracks,
1: respectively. It led you you here, so there you go.
0: There we go. It led me down this path. That was my gateway. Soft, uh, soft new wave. As we (laughs) we define it. Yep. On this
1: show. All right, You didn't do your opening plugs here yet.
0: Uh, Oh, yeah. So if you want to hit me up, uh, you can find me on various forms of social media, at left for Damien. You can uh, do this podcast a really big favor by going over to iTunes, if you use iTunes, and subscribing to it, and then writing a review and rating it. And if you want to do this podcast an even bigger favor in the grand scheme of things, tell all your friends that might like this thing that this is out there and that this exists. Because that is the way we spread the word. So we will be getting into, uh, you know, spreading that word more and more in the future. We've done one tour, but we got other stuff planned. And yeah. Um, but anyway, so spread that word for us. You can also find emails for me at and future tour dates, DamienAbraham.com. And you can uh, check out uh, Tournament of Death. Bloodlust, the t- documentary that I did with Vice about deathmatch wrestling, still on YouTube. Um, and, uh, yeah, check it on YouTube. And, yeah, tell your friends about that, too, if they like incredibly violent wrestling. And now, Chris, you've met one of the stars of that.
1: <laughs> um, I have, yeah. But you've So, been and,
0: yeah. Now, he's been interviewed twice on this show, and yeah. we, will, uh, we will be discussing that, of course, in the month of January when we do the full recaps for all of these live dates that we did, yeah, for sure. Um, any more? Uh, do we have any other plugs, uh, Chris? How do they reach us here?
1: Uh, Turned into punk footnotes at gmail.com. dot com. And uh, despite this and recent episodes, uh, we will get to the mailbag, <laughs> and yes. we do regularly normally. It's just been a bit of an odd time of the year.
0: Yes, this has been a pretty. Uh, it's been it's been hectic. It has been really hectic. I've enjoyed being home though, and recuperating right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's been hectic in a good way, is what I would say. If it were hectic in a, you know, we're you're not getting to it, or we're not getting to it because of negative sort of things, then it feels a little differently. But it feels productive, so I'm yeah. happy to uh, be busy at all. Yeah, and and, and even though we aren't going to do the recap right now,
0: thank you everyone that did come out to all those shows um, on the Turn to Punk Live tour and talked to Chris and I, brought us gifts. That was cool. That was unexpected. And uh, yeah, uh, that was, and we'll get into all the full stuff in the recap coming up. And of course, we will talk all about the Discord hang. <laughs> yes, do we, should we, do you want to
1: shout out Vinyl Conflict then?
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. Let's shout out Vinyl Conflict, yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, Vinyl, Vinyl. Conflict rec- Records in Richmond. Uh, do you have do you have a more?
1: Productive shout out than I just gave. <laughs> other than that, well, no, that's why. Yeah, like, he was uh, one of the individuals that came out. Lovely gentleman, uh, and his store is. I am trying to look at the address here so you to go shop. But anyway, it's in Richmond. If you are punk, you likely know where it is. It's a great uh, store. To-
0: every time I am there, it was of course started by uh, Brandon of uh, No Way Records, and it's it is an amazing store. And I, it is you know, it is. I've every time I go there. I walk away with a couple major wants checked off my want list, which at this point in my life is is kinda of hard to do. Not bragging, but I'm just saying it's I'm pretty selective now in what I want to buy. And every yeah. time I'm there. Dude, I got an <laughs>
1: escarbuto. I got an escarb record there one time. <laughs> nice. They sell stuff I think online too. I don't know, but anyway, sure, conflict.com yeah. And, uh, of course, if you're in Richmond, check it out. Uh, But anyway, thanks. Brought out some records, which we will discuss in the future. I've been uh, going through a number of things. And, uh, yeah. That Memory Loss band is sick. Yeah, that record looks great, too. Uh, All the stuff looks cool. I have yet to spin it, though. Yeah, uh, I've only
0: only had a chance to really listen to that one. So I'm going to listen to the rest of the stuff, too, and get full reports.
1: I guess we'll we'll just shout out the names, at least right now, real quick. Memory Loss, Devil's Hand, Asylum... Left Cross and Mad Existence are things he brought out for me uh, and And Left Cross I also, I had, I bought earlier on when I went
0: to the store and bought a bunch of records uh, on a fucked up tour not too long back, and yeah uh, definitely uh, a great record as well And I can't wait to check out the other stuff, also we gotta shout out, uh, I guess we can shout him out when we talk about his points for today's episode Totally, I wanted to for sure Okay, well, we'll get, we'll get to that when we get to his points. We'll get to his yeah. shout-out, because that way we don't have to awkwardly shout him out when he's on the show with us for the recaps.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: totally. Uh, okay, so let's <laughs> let's move on to, uh, I guess, anything else you want to get to, or should we move on to today's episode?
1: No, I guess if we're doing another show, just, yeah, Dave Martin, love you, you're the best, but let's start the show. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah,
0: and um, let's get on to the show. Today on the show... We have uh, to talk about a incredible, incredible legend of alternative music, back again for an incredible part two, Gerard Cosloy.
1: Yeah, I mean it was, uh, I mean it was really good again. I liked the first one a lot. I don't remember if that made my top list of the the year, whatever, but or of the first one hundred, whatever we did. But, yeah, we um, did the first one hundred. I feel like it should have if it didn't. Anyway, he's great. I don't know him like you do, but uh, I'm very impressed. Just his like – very envious of people that um, were in the privileged uh, (laughs) – were of privileged age and geography to have been a witness to some of the things that he spoke about or been a part of them. But um, yeah, I don't even know where to begin, man. There's a lot (laughs) to talk about here if you want to have a nice like late night talk about this stuff.
0: Well, let's but, definitely um, – we've got a lot to sorry. get to.
1: I guess one thing I do want to get to, if we are
0: plugging the people that are, did give us records, um, yeah. We I, I do also want to plug uh, Chris Minacucci, guest on the Boston I, episode. Yep. Uh, who hooked it up with uh, records that we, of course, bought off him, but also got some uh, amazing records that he's involved in releasing. Um,
1: yes, totally. Painkiller records, of course. Painkiller leaders, stuff. Painkiller.com as well as Radio Rocky. which is uh excellent all that stuff is great highly recommended um and yeah i got uh, a lovely zine off him too good guy
0: yeah and so after that plug we got a plug of course our (laughs) columnist who's got a lot of good points about this episode who's someone who knows gerard probably even better than i do definitely better than i do (laughs) why would i even qualify that with an even but uh columnist friend of the show and amazing record gift giver
1: Dave Martin. Yes, totally. Um so do you want to go to his point here? Or you want to talk about him briefly with with thanks. We got to give him the thanks first, I think,
0: Chris, okay. because that way well, we don't have to do it when he's on the show.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, Dave is a lovely man as I know him. Uh was brought out some wonderful gifts for me, which I was very honestly surprised by still am. i think I've listened to almost all of it and it's exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, Dave's taste is knows, no bounds, as I've learned. Uh, but yeah, really great stuff. I think you have most of it too, Dame, I would imagine, or at least familiar with it, but um yeah, I've been really digging it that ch- I think it was the chills and that milk and cookies in particular were, were ones that really grabbed me, but it's all excellent. What do you think of the song Pink Frost Chris? I don't that was titles, so I don't really like it. I'm trying what record that one That's on, on I the think
0: I think it's on the chills and I think it's on side two of record two. I threw one. it
1: all in at once. So, by song title, it doesn't stand that's out. The, from that's me. the one that's haunting. That's the one that will stay with you. I think yeah, that's- it's. On B2 on Kaleidoscope World by the Chills. Ah. Uh- I don't – again, it doesn't stick out, but the whole record is great. I love that record. Uh, Oh, yes. The other thing I need to shout out (laughs) and you'll be – so this is the first, uh, dare I say, revelation, no pun intended, on the show, uh, which is that Dave um, is such a lovely human being that he also (laughs) brought me a Misfits Walk Among Us, a late press. Oh, yeah. uh, Which for avid listeners of the show – um, the sort of running joke between Dame and I is that Dame doesn't like Fugazi or The Clash, and I don't like, I don't know, Misfits and who knows what else. Metallica Blackout, I guess. But
0: A um, lot of stuff that we've, we haven't gotten to. Trust me. On the card ride, you got <laughs> yeah. to a lot of stuff you
1: didn't like that we haven't gotten to on this show. Yeah, I don't even remember. But regardless, so Walk Among Us, um, I do like The Misfits. It's just kind of a joke, jokey thing. So Dave, I think, partially as a joke. But I actually am extremely thankful for bringing me this record. Um, anyway, Walk Among Us, of course, a classic Misfits record. Even I can recognize that. But I will say I have been spinning it and enjoying it uh, very oh. much so. And I never thought in 2016 I would be like going back to listen to Misfits happily, but I did. And uh, I'm going to have a hot take on this again. I'm going to say Brain Eaters is the best Misfits song maybe. There you that's go. A, but that's it's, a bold statement. It's just – because it makes no sense as a misfit song if you listen to it again it sounds like it's it's almost like an oi song it's very weird like if, if you listen to it recently oh, yeah
0: no i've I've listened to that record probably like a thousand times <laughs>
1: like yeah mean, thousand like times
0: is being conservative actually um but yeah no that definitely you're right like that's the thing about that band is oh man we and we that's something we will not get into but the stories we heard off the record about that <laughs> band yeah, Really kind of instill the fact that they, you know, as has been brought up on this show, are at the same time the most punk band ever and not at all a punk band. Or the greatest <laughs> punk band ever, sorry, and not at all a punk band.
1: Yes. So you know, regardless of the misfits, which I think we were, we were meaning to thank Dave and we've gone on a misfits diatribe here. But, um, but I guess for the listeners that really care, all five of you, yes, I've been uh, – I've been spinning Misfits. It's very uncharacteristic of me to do so, but i uh, it's not even reluctant. It's just uncharacteristic. And yeah. uh, so that's what I've been doing for the holidays. Walk Among Us has been on heavy rotation uh, as amongst uh, bizarre sort of flying non-obscurity. You're like a nightmare before uh,
0: Christmas, Goth.
1: You're <laughs> 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 like listening to Misfits sure. at Christmas time. Yeah, <laughs> Watching a little nightmare before Christmas. Yes. You know the irony of that statement? I've still never seen that movie. You've never seen that movie? No. Dude, that movie's fucking awesome. It's not a hero, but I kind of have a reluctance. It's like that and Avatar, I've never seen. I've never seen Avatar. I refuse to watch watch it for whatever reason. I've never
0: seen Titanic. I've Um, seen Titanic, yeah. I've never seen The Notebook.
1: I'm with you there too. Haven't seen it.
0: um, Yeah, there's a lot of that sort of like like iconic stuff that I didn't see because I was like at the height of my film snobbery. (laughs) But yeah. now in my post, uh, you know, like, like I feel like I, what happened to most people's music tastes happened to my film and television tastes where now I'm just like the most into the most populous bullshit imaginable. <laughs> like, there's I think no uh, taste anymore.
1: I don't know. I, 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 you're obviously being, uh, whatever a bit facetious, I suppose. Cause I don't believe that really. But, uh, I know what you mean, like, uh, in terms of, like, aging and becoming more uh, boring as far as movie tastes or something. I'm kind of with you there. Like, I haven't watched a lot of difficult movies lately or anything like yeah, I would have exactly. done 10 years ago, but...
0: but yeah, like, actually, I thought, Could you imagine, much. like, what would it take right now for someone to be like, like, if Irreversible was out now, you would have to pay oh. me, like, a trillion dollars to go and see that thing.
1: It'd be hard. I think what it is now is with age, you become, in my opinion, you become, like you sort of understand the stakes are higher with age or something. So watching yeah. some of that stuff is just like, it's so harsh. Uh, ha- yeah. Having said that, I really like that movie. I think that movie incredible. But anyway. That yeah, movie was, is the, probably the most powerful movie I've ever seen as far as so, like effect. So
0: harsh. So yeah. harsh. So yeah. harsh.
1: Yeah. Like, I put, like put it this way. I that movie to the point where uh, he was at a gig recently in Toronto randomly. The director of that movie. Yeah, Gaspar Noe came to, came to sheebie-jeebies of all places. Um, what? I don't know yeah. the story. Yeah, last, uh, I guess it would have been, well, well, probably a little more than a summer ago now, but whatever. They, one of those last gigs at Sheebies, when Gloss played, he was in attendance. And oh. uh, uh, I don't know if someone brought him, I want to say, maybe Bruce Bruce, someone like that. Brought yeah, him. probably even Bruce. And uh, I heard about that after the fact, and I was just totally bummed. Uh, 'cause I just wanted to like go to the show and just punish him with questions about that movie, and anyway, uh
0: yeah, He's a little to, pretentious from what I remember from the interviews <laughs> I would watch with him
1: back then <laughs> I'm sure there is I, and there's you know whatever I've no business really speaking to him about that movie because i don't you know I'm not a movie film guy in that sense, but anyway, uh yeah, major digression, there you go folks, nerd talk, one o one, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, nerd talk starting with (laughs) anti-nerd talk, with talking about how populist we were.
1: Um, Yeah, and that started with the Misfits, might I add, which is populist music. So there you go. And it started with Dave Martin, which is where we got to go, Chris. What are some of Dave's (laughs) points this week? Oh, yeah, Dave. um, So Dave had uh, some comments here. He feels – he's quoted here. I feel like Dragon played the importance and influence of Homestead. Which I would I would agree with, but it's hard to kind of talk about how important you are in the narrative of when you're talking about history. So I understand that. Yeah, but um, we, we didn't do we were doing.
0: This is a great first digression to get off of what Dave's talking about because we never we weren't doing footnotes when I had the first interview with them on here. So let's do the homestead discogs.
1: <laughs> I pulled it up, and it's funny because a lot of it. Um, I'm obviously aware of the label, but a lot of this I have not heard. Uh, a lot of like the sort of like obscure bands or whatever you want to say on here. I'm obviously familiar with like, you know, Nick Cave, U-Men, a lot of the stuff, but like, you know, the variety of other groups. But I some of these records on this label I haven't heard. Like even this Meat Men record, I've never heard War of the Superbikes. I don't know why.
0: Oh, that's never. an amazing classic. That's where you know what that it's funny. That's where the uh, the entire thing with collecting the Clip Boys came from. Apparently, they talk about it in that Hardcore Heroes Volume One bootleg CD. Which is the first place that Clip Boys record I think is was comped, but it's like there's one point where they do like punk rock Jeopardy, and they're like he likes blah 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 on the Clip Boys, and that was like where people started collecting that record at least according to the liner notes for this bootleg compilation CD. But it's saying- a it's a classic record. You're saying the liner notes were saying that Tesco V
1: liked the Clip Boys, yeah, or just shouted them out on oh, okay. uh, on Superbikes. Ah, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, like again, I haven't heard it, so I don't know, but. Uh, and I like the meat men a lot. I just don't know why I've never <laughs> Yeah, you got, if <laughs> <that> you <laughs> like the meat men, you got to hear that. But like, dude, there's like, I would say,
0: like, this is a testament to Gerard's ear. But, you know, like, obviously it's, it leans Boston centric a little bit. But like, you have Naked Ray Gun, Throb, Throb. You have The Flies. You have Neubotten. Like, he's putting out a yeah. Neubauten record in 84. Uh, The Windbreakers, Big Black, Naked Ray Gun again, Meat Men. Uh, fetus. I'm not even a big fetus fan, but they did a fetus record. Um, I am swans as well. Swans, dinosaur junior, dinosaur obviously, Sonic Youth for you know an incredible Sonic Youth album, Bad Moon Rising. Like uh, you know, like that's I don't know. Sister's my favorite, but Bad Moon Rising is right up there.
1: That is and, one thing we agree on. If anyone has a drinking game, the one thing that Damien and I outwardly agree on hundred percent is that sister is the best Sonic youth record. And I'm with you. Totally. I think that's, anyway. that's indisputable. <laughs> I don't I think for a lot of people it would, would be disputable. I think that's, yeah, uh, but like people would I'm say, gonna, any say they're wrong. I, you know, I have a, anyway, there's a great debate I have about that record that you just mentioned, uh, in a column, which maybe we should make for our future zine, uh, yeah. related to the film. But yeah, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know why I brought that up. Anyway,
0: go on. Yeah, we're gonna make Turn Out A Punk. We Chris and I decided this late night on the drive, I think, home in the during the blizzard that we're gonna make a Turn Out A Punk uh, fan pack that's gonna have record. It's gonna have a thing in it. So keep your keep your ears peeled for that one. But then, dude, he does like a human record. Yeah, he does. He does the um, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yeah, First Born is Dead. Green River. Green River. Squirrel Bait. Yeah. Um, death of samantha it's dreadful yeah. Gin. Uh, like yeah proletariat nomads like it's it's it is nuts like the if you go through this label and you know of course yeah you're right gerard has to downplay it but this is i would say more than sst this is the discography like the sst's obviously got a lot more kind of like you know like it's got like uh, you know bigger records
1: but there's fewer yeah, it's got of more. Mar- it's got more marquee records in a sense. I'm with you, but I think yeah, I think this is more of a. If you took the complete run of the label, I'm with you, and that Homestead might take it in terms of, I don't know, whatever, more consistency, dare I say, or something like that. Yeah, or like more diversity of <coughs> just like what
0: I don't know. But yeah, like there's like it's hard to kind of verbalize it, but the fact that he did like, like you know, the best Bad Seeds records were on that label.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's funny too because I'm looking here, even at that Neubotten thing you mentioned. This is like probably my favorite Neubotten thing too, and I didn't realize they did a version of this because I only knew the UK one. But yeah, they were the American one. That's wild. you yeah. ever see? I never knew he had any association with that at all. That's wild. And like in like in just like the chills, like Brave Worlds
0: that comes out on there, like you know, or is it at least a test pressing. I don't think actually it ever came out officially on. Oh no, it did get officially come out on Homestead. It must have, yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. So, like, you know, like he's like, you know, we talked about that stuff a little bit on the show, you know, being into, like, the Verlaines and all being early on to, like, all that Flying Nun stuff. But, God, his run on this label, you know, is just, like, honor roll records. Like, It's just, you know, it goes on and
1: on and on and on. It's, yeah, it's very much, at the very least, you can say about it, it's way ahead of its time in terms mm-hmm. of what you what this stuff becomes. And you spend a lot of the interview talking about the, the ever-controversial G.G. Allen, which even <laughs> – it has very seminal G.G. Allen records on this label, if you follow that kind of stuff. Um, but just, yeah, it's crazy. Beat Happening split with Screaming Trees. Like, it's just – it's got a lot on here, man. Oh,
0: yeah, Daniel Johnson. I never
1: even realized – oh, they reissued it from the cassette, But they reissued it from
0: him. Wow. Like, that's the first time it came out in 88, right? Like, it, it was his stuff in I think 88. So. I Yeah, the UK one came out the same year.
1: <laughs> it would seem about right. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, huh. 83 was the recent self-made album. So maybe it was, I guess, the first official reissue, I guess would be the way to look at it. that. They were the American one. I don't know. Either yeah. way, that's crazy. Even the fact that, you know, there, there's another one. But, um. Yeah, Flesh Eaters. It's nuts. See, it's I just, the thing that bums me out is I haven't heard a lot of these records from these bands. Even when you brought up the Frogs, I don't know the Frogs at all. I didn't know anything about that. When you guys were talking about that, I was like, "What? why is this band so controversial? I don't remember them at all. But I anyway, only know them
0: because Zach Felberg, my, my, uh, one of my best friends, um, exposed me to them. Uh, as It sounds very inappropriate when you talk about the Frogs, but he used to play <laughs> them all the time on duct tape radio. Yeah, and they, they're kind of like a novelty-ish band. Have some yeah. really offensive songs. Um, yeah, you can tell
1: by the song titles at least. But yeah, I uh, kind of get it. Song titles, what you guys were getting at, but it was just something. That, again, this this is something of obscurity. The world, I think, is like glossed over a lot of like like a lot of this stuff falls between the cracks, which is weird to me because the yeah. '90s were chock full of this stuff. This is our this is like I think the our one of our favorite like sub points of the show is like these kind of avenues in the 90s largely late 80s 90s labels like this yeah yeah but even gibson a- brothers too gibson brothers which i believe is pre uh or at least he was in the band for a minute what's his face uh john spencer yeah john spencer uh which this lp i i want from 89 dedicated fool i've still never heard it but i have uh because they also a, did a like fan. the
0: split with work dogs later on
1: yeah it's just it's crazy There's, this is not- a lot of stuff Yeah, a lot of stuff.
0: They did all the records with the Gibson brothers, actually, because they also did the uh, the man who loved uh,
1: couch dancing. And I'm looking. Was the first Sebado stuff on here too, or did they release stuff prior? I'm looking now. Uh, Oh. Or well, I guess they had singles
0: or a single,
1: a single before. I guess tapes, maybe, but yeah, those first LPs. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. We could talk all night. Like. It's definitely a label that I wish I knew more about, but he certainly deserves a ton of credit. And uh, I'm with Dave Martin on the sense of saying, like, you know, he downplays it because it's, you know, for for me, especially if maybe like Dave would be better to elaborate on this than certainly myself, um, because he would have been more um, cognizant of a lot of this stuff as it was coming out due to even just age uh, being more closely to Gerard. But um, yeah, I don't know. Great. I don't know what else to say about it. You want me to go through the rest of this uh, email here?
0: Yeah, let's go through the rest of this email. Sorry, that All was right. my first really long digression.
1: <laughs> no, no worries. He says, uh, I know that we we'll certainly watched their every move in terms of home- Homestead, Dave mentions. Uh, There's also. Already involved in the college radio and retail, he was, of course, right on the money about SST being the top dog, uh, but he was certainly the biggest label figurehead, he claims. This is what Dave claims about Gerard. Um, Not only through conflict, but also through CMJ, he would routinely take smug and or unsuspecting label folks to task for their bullshit views and practices. A bunch of people I knew honestly looked forward to each CMJ just for his letters alone God knows we didn't care about the charts and well, that, that was his column this week.
0: I uh I, you know like we you know there's a amazing article about Gerard I think from Billboard or the New York magazine, New Yorker magazine from way back when that is just hilarious to read about how he's like this like indie rock label wonderkin and it's like you know <laughs> not very flattering and I'm sure Gerard would hate the fact that I'm bringing it up uh on footnotes for his episode but at the same time it's a hilarious read. And yeah, one take it with a grain of salt, like a massive grain of salt. And also remember that as we talked about earlier, age tends to change people as well. Um and Gerard is one today the most low-key, awesome, chill, big music fan I've ever met. But like when I met Jay from um you know, Jay Riotard from uh you know, Jay Riotard and the Riotards and all that stuff, uh, he was like you know, the reason I signed a Matador, you know, I guess I met him before this, but like when he after he signed a Matador, is that like, the reason I signed a Matador is because of Gerard, because I read about Gerard in Spin magazine and how cool he was, and I knew Conflict was a fucking badass fanzine, and so I wanted to be on the label that he ran. Yeah,
1: wow, that's crazy. See, I wouldn't have thought that that was something that most people were aware of to the point where. That would have swayed someone's opinion. Obviously, if I was aware of that, that would sway me. But I just assumed, you know, in those years when uh, when they had signed him or whatever, I, I'm assuming they signed him. I know he put out records on that. Oh I'm
0: yeah, they signed him. Yeah, him. it was actually like, and he was being, you know, like I don't I don't want to talk at a school, but he was being like, you know, approached by unbelievable people. Like Rick Rubin sent a plane for him. Wow. You know, like he was being approached by pretty incredible people and like people were telling him incredible things, you know, like unbelievable amounts of BS to try and sign him. And he was being offered a lot of money and I'm sure he, you know, I'm sure he got offered paid a little bit of money by Matador to sign to him. You know, I don't think he did yeah. it for free, but at the same time he, it was Gerard, you know, and like his respect for Gerard, that was one of the key things for him to sign in that label. Like it was at least what was you know translated to me or conveyed to me I should say
1: yeah which did that by you him. guys had already been on that label right when you spoke to him or no
0: no I think we he signed just before us we were all signing around the same time uh-huh. um, and I think he if I remember correctly he signed just just before us and uh yeah like he yeah he, he you know it was it was a time where we were hanging out a lot. And it was a really cool time, too, because it was like, you know, we were all on this awesome, rad, indie label that was, like, the coolest label. But it came from, like, this totally legit punk rock place where every single person involved had some toe involved, dipped into the punk rock pool.
1: Yeah. I recall, I remember you versing me on the people that were behind it. Because it's something that's funny. Like, I don't know why I never... Uh, I guess uh, I shouldn't say cared enough. That's not entirely true. But I just never knew um, about him personally all that much. Obviously, I was familiar with Matador as any music fan to a uh, to certain degree is because of the level of hoops in. Excuse me. Netflix. Sorry, uh, Hey, no worries, man. It's that time of year. It's that but, time um, of year. <laughs> verisimilitude, <laughs> but, <yeah>. everyone. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just so – hearing you know now knowing who he is to the point where like listening to these two episodes and just being blown away by the constant stories um yeah i don't know i I, I get it more so to speak
0: yeah look i i was not as versed as jay was about gerard's history but i knew about conflict you know i had a bunch of records on conflict and knew there was other records on conflict and He was associated with, like, Deep Wound. I knew he was the guy that was listed as Deep Wound's manager on the Deep Wound 7-inch and all (laughs) that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: And then we also knew the other half of the label had put out, you know, (laughs) Patrick Amory, who comes up on this episode, and and Chris Lombardi, who comes up on this episode. uh, Both of them had put out um, – what's it called? The Death Wish 7-inch. Yeah. Back in the day. So there was – yeah, you know, great record, unbelievable seven inch. So it's kind of like you know the people that put out the Deathwish seven inch coming together with the person that put out all those amazing records we talked about earlier on Homestead, and you know it became this cool kind of punk label. Yeah, so Jay Jay signed, and I think we signed right around the same time, and we were all on the label together. Yeah, um, but yeah,
1: that was a trying – Prime Era. No, no worries. But that was Dave's points that we were working off of there. So yes. That was Dave's submission. Uh, we had nothing from the other Dave this week, really. There was a little mention about that. He just thought the Gerard saying living in a house monkey style was a super funny visual. I can't remember what he was talking about, but I, I did find it. Well, because
0: when I was talking about, like, was it a scene? Were you guys all friends?
1: About oh, yeah, yeah, the- yeah. Sorry.
0: He's like, yeah, we weren't living in a house monkey style. <laughs> which is also an amazing thing to think about with like Rob Zombie and uh you know, Gerard and and uh John Spencer and you know various other new New York luminaries all living together.
1: Yeah, there was uh, actually sorry, Dave uh Dave it up also did mention something else I forgot here, which is that uh His talking point was labels that can't keep up with demand, which you spoke about in the interview briefly in kind of relation to the Nirvana uh, explosion. Um, But He was giving examples here in the punk sense of like Tribal War and Plays with Dolls. Mm -hmm. So the Tribal War were getting orders of a thousand copies for the first Casualties LP and uh, they couldn't keep up with it. And then it was later repressed and apparently Plays with Dolls had the first Vivian Girls, which I wasn't aware of. But It sold out within seconds. Yeah, record. and there was there was issues with that as well. So I guess the topic of the idea of indies that uh, – like really small indies, so to speak, that have difficulty keeping up with bands that explode, that it unfortunate happens. scenario.
0: Yeah, it happens on every level. Like we can – you know, there's a lot of ones that have happened publicly, you know. Um, Chris and I both probably have lost money on pre-orders, you know. I'm sure I've been bad <laughs> about sending people stuff too. You know, I know I have. It's <laughs> But – but the reality is when you have a label, especially a label that gets hot, it, it can be really difficult. Like no matter what scale it is, if it gets hot to kind of keep up with it, that's why I think Greg and locking out, you know, and this will definitely come up in a couple of weeks on the Boston episode. Um, yeah. Is so cool is because he kind of was able to, to keep up with everything with his label and his label never really fell off. In, yeah, in both in what it signs and, and as well as in his how he does it. Yep, yeah, totally totally agreed. Um, But yeah, so but like it, I remember hearing about the, and I, the label I was thinking at the time too when I was bringing it up with Gerard was uh, The Offspring when Epitaph had to deal with The Offspring post-Smash being so big and how many people wanted that record that it was like a really hard thing for them to weather. I remember reading that back well, in the day in some music magazine.
1: Well, especially a lot of labels that we're discussing, like, you know, you know, I don't know, like, the inner workings because, I mean, you've had certainly more more uh, experiences with, like, proper labels and, and perhaps contracts or whatever, but I know a lot of, like, when you think of stuff from the, even the 80s, a lot of stuff is very, like, handshake-driven, you know what I mean? So they weren't uh-huh. always contracts. I don't know about Epidaf specifically, but you got to wonder that the situations when all this stuff started to explode, the idea of you know, like the the typical, like, factory records story of the, uh, what was it, New Order not having a contract? What band did they come for off that? I want to say New Order. New Order, anyway, I think famously. Right? Yeah, whoever it was, it was, like, you know, there was no contracts. So, like, and it's got to be a feeding, like, it's got to be, like, blood in the water to, like, major labels when they realize they can get a commodity that they can woo a lot easier that isn't contractually, you know, obligated. Well,
0: I'm not even talking about losing the band. I think it's even just, like dealing with the fact that you've got to hire in the, all these employees to deal with all the new increased demands, you know? like Yeah, the
1: growth, yeah. Yeah, yeah like Sub Pop
0: had it post-Nirvana success, you know? And, and like Nils had to set up uh, the Sub Pop fan club, you know, from yeah. – from it was their press person because they didn't have a fan club in place. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we need a fan club because this band is like the biggest band in the world. You know, it's, it's a uh, – it's an interesting thing for a label to have to cope with. You know, like it's as much as you want success, there's like part of it that I must, you know, must kind of also have its drawbacks.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's almost like you want, um, when you run an independent or small label, you almost want to keep at a certain uh, level, even though I suppose everyone would want to, you know, make as much money as they could. But, you know, it, yeah, it's that uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Like yeah. you're either making no money or you're making so much money that. It inevitably you know the wheels fall off somehow in the process
0: yeah yeah no definitely that would be uh yeah that's why it's just like
1: you just want to be uh even keeled just keep it keep it mellow keep it even <laughs> yes <laughs> but uh, uh what was uh those were the, the dave's points columns this week um what did you want to grab from uh from the episode Something um
0: was- okay let's get into the, today's episode uh do you want to take the first point or should i
1: um, yeah, take one and i I'm going to look here. Uh,
0: uh, I guess if I was going to go for the first point that I wanted to get to, uh, I think that, that, you know, we've talked about this briefly before, but the idea that there's two scenes happening in New York at the exact same time <laughs> that are so key to you and I and our musical universe and a lot of people's <laughs> musical universe that are listening to this, I imagine. Um, yeah. and it's almost like they don't cross over at any point.
1: Except for Noiseville Records, <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to try and work that in because you were <laughs> you brought up in the interview. Um, yeah, they're talking about the uh, the New York hardcore scene, and then as well as the. See, this is another thing I found amazing. I'd never heard that term "pig fuck" before ever. It, it came up. Didn't it? Didn't it come up on the Brick Smith episode? Didn't she use that? Tell us about that. I, if she did, I do not recall. I okay. never to this day. I think that's amazing too. I th- I just think it's amazing anytime I hear an interview like this or anything where, like, there's just some stuff I legit do- had never even heard before. I, I find amazing because, like, I you know, not that I feel like I know everything, but I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp. And that seems kind of like a a, a funny little whatever eighties 90s-ism that I should have been aware of and somehow wasn't. But uh, um, yeah. So that that scene at the same time as New York Hardcore. Yeah, it's weird. I'm sure there are more crossovers than we could um, point to at this point. Um, But your Noiseville um, (laughs) – what would you say? Your Noiseville conspiracy here that they do via Noiseville. Because what was the connection there? You brought up – I can't remember what the band was. Well, Noiseville puts out like – they do – Well, they did the breakdown,
0: Unholy Swill. And they also do New York Inside Out and Breakdown. They do a lot of different stuff, but they Unholy Swill and the Action Swingers, of course, and Drunks with Guns.
1: Yeah. As well, they put a lot of Drunks with Guns. Because of the label mates, you get a sort of inadvertent crossover because of uh, those two things. I'm curious myself because I know um, I'm trying to look up the Noiseville catalog here in the resource, and I'm having difficulty. But
0: um, the Noisville catalog is pretty. It's pretty impressive. I've got seventeen records from this label, and would you believe it, Chris? That I I probably actually a little bit more than that. But I but I'm nowhere near close because they have ninety five records that they put out. They've done that much. I thought they were small. Ninety five records.
1: They did put out the demo on seven inch, didn't they? Oh, it's split with. Yeah, the they back. did. Oh, they right. did.
0: That's their. That's their big hardcore. The contribution to hardcore yeah. is a hundred percent. Well, then in New York inside out has become with large part, largely in part to the work of local personality, Mike, the Mosher, um, has become a seminal record as well to some people. Yeah. Less,
1: less people in the breakdown. I love that this isn't that expensive a record. Anyway, if anyone's got this, I need it. So write the show, but, um, that inside out. With well, the New York cargo, the, the New York inside out, I mean, yeah. Inside out above all great record, but, um, there's like, so many
0: different, there's, like, so many different versions of it, too.
1: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, w- I was getting confused here because it was a split with uh, Blackout, and I always forget that. I was failing to see the Noisville section. But, yeah, yeah, looking it up now, I mean, um, again, I don't know a lot of this catalog, but obviously you brought up a few that I'm familiar with. Oh, yeah, that's right, and they do do that LP, Where the Wild Things Are, which is also yeah. a split yeah. with Blackout. See, so I think the, the connection there is the Blackout thing, really. It's Blackout and Noisville. Yeah, Inside
0: Out. I don't believe is a blackout split release, though.
1: No, but I mean, I think the real uh, bridge there, though. Oh, the main sort to that of connection scene is somehow the blackout individuals and the Noisville ones somehow meeting minds and knowing to, I don't know, work together collaborate and collaborate and so
0: yeah. It's like the same. label they put out Where the Wild Things Are also puts out uh, from Twisted Minds Come, which is you know <laughs> if there was ever a comp that typified this pig fuck scene it would probably be this <laughs> compilation of, of i mean sort of secondary ish bands
1: yes also songs best compilation songs which we've done in the past outburst hard way on where the wild things are on blackout noiseville yeah that's great, great song. Song. um yeah, the radix the, uh, record
0: is also kind of a, you know is it someone from the radix goes on to become yeah the guy from lower East side stitches and later in u.s bombs was in that band, you know, and they're like kind of like a New York street punk band. So there's also that scene that's happening kind of at the same time as well, which is less connected to, uh, you know, the hardcore scene, but not at all. Really, I can I imagine connected to what was going on with the pig fuck scene.
1: <laughs> totally. I still find that label insanely weird and like, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um- but yeah, like the uh, cool label. I'm not sure. I'm entirely with you because I feel like there might be other bridges, but this is definitely a great. I'm trying to think of there. some other
0: ones, but like there, there's very little intersections between the two worlds that that I know of.
1: I think it's kind of weird though when you when you think of like sort of New York is not a big place really geographically. And the idea that there wasn't more bleed over that was more, uh, I don't know, whatever, more obvious is kind of bizarre to me. Like at least I don't recall seeing like. What? bills where you see like yeah. i don't know bands playing together or something um
0: I imagine it's like uh it's like seattle in a lot of ways you know like when yeah, that's which come, we've talked about before like the seattle the, like the grunge scene would have been the equivalent of the pig fuck scene i imagine and the fact that like you know it didn't cross over at all with like what's going on with brotherhood or mainly just brotherhood <laughs> that would have been later too. Yes.
1: <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> Mainly just Brotherhood.
0: <laughs> um well, it's like when I think of when I think of Pacific Northwest hardcore that time, it's hard to get over that one. That's true. Understandably. Perfect yeah. record. Perfect record. Perfect. Oh yeah, my that, god. Have you seen yo, know, look up this various artists Noisel blackout split <laughs>
1: label comp tape. Do you see that? Which what uh, I don't know, I'm on the it's like but...
0: Are you on the noiseville thing?
1: Yeah. Okay, it it's like
0: it, it's kinda like it's like, I don't know, halfway down the page if you do it in chronological order, and it's called various artists blackout slash noisville. Cassette promo green tape. <coughs> <Calm.
1: laughs> Let me look it up.
0: It's like Iowa Beef Experience bang revival bench and the radix on one side and the other side it's crawl pappy eye for an eye sheer terror
1: and the business and whoa. the business song is handball whoa that's weird why is the what's the business thing to noiseville they did a business record i think i assume it would be blackout and maybe they were supposed to Black- do something
0: with blackout around 91 like that makes sense That was when they were like hooking up with all those new york hardcore bands
1: I guess. So that just seems strange. It makes sense a bit after the Sheer Terror song that that's coupled, but even Eye for an Eye is a bit of a different animal than those two. Um, is, I, is I Need Lunch, is that the
0: Dead Boys song? I
1: don't know. It, yeah, actually, probably is. Yeah, because they do it on uh, – Sure, Tara definitely covers that on another record. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember which one, but yeah, it's on, it's on a single.
0: I wonder if the handball song that they're doing, the business, is that novelty song, Handball. That's like is that a, a, an infamous novelty porn record.
1: Oh. <laughs> I remember hearing about that, but I've never like, heard it or whatever directly. Uh, trying to find this really- freaking... Maybe it's, is it on the Blackout? No, it's not on that. I thought they do cover it on a single, that Shooter thing. I'm looking that up right now, but I can't find it. Pretty positive they do cover that Dead Boy song.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's um, not. I'm, I'm looking at the
1: yeah, it, up. Anyway, we're digressing. But yes, your point about we're the, definitely digressing. those scenes not intersecting is or not really intersecting to the, to the amount that you would expect. I think part of it is because um, when you think about like the hardcore scene or whatever, um, it kind of like, I don't know, for me, the whole, when the crossover thing really takes off, that seems to be the direction that a lot of those people go if they don't stay like legit punk people that never kind of change. And I don't think like the quote unquote pig fuck thing really intersects with that all that much, even if you consider the harshness sonically of stuff like swans it's not really like metal related to me at least so that's my only guess why there's not more of a marriage there but I yeah. do think there are more bridge bands that were not or at least people that kind of mingle in both um but I'm not sure of them offhand yeah it'd be interesting to talk to someone like Walter about it yes actually that is very good that is a great idea it's too bad actually we didn't uh uh Yeah, I didn't think of that when we were just uh, in his presence.
0: Yeah, I know. We'll hit him up. We'll see see if we can get him on for a part part three right away.
1: (coughs) There you go. Just to take us through the
0: uh, intricacies between uh, various New York scenes circa the mid-late 80s. Yeah,
1: it'd be interesting. I mean, I don't – anyway. Um, So that was your point there, right, I believe, that we just did? Yes.
0: Yes. No, that was mine.
1: Okay. I don't know how we're not going to talk about Gigi Allen, but uh, I'm, yeah, going to skirt, to I'm going to skirt that really quickly <laughs> uh, by first mentioning uh, he brought up the Steve Albini uh, – I can't remember what he titled it, but it was a rant that Steve Albini wrote. Not even a rant, whatever, like a column. Um, I just wanted to bring up and cite what that actually is. It's called The Problem With Music. Uh, and it's an infamous thing he wrote in the 90s. Uh, I don't remember what year specifically, but if you search the problem problem with music, Albini or Steve Albini, you'll find it. Uh, and it's really great. It kind of just breaks down the whole like major label thing. Uh, incredibly cynically, of course, things like that. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to make note of that uh, first. And I had not actually read this. I don't know if you were familiar with that when he brought that up to you in the interview, the Albini thing.
0: Yeah, I read it years ago when it was kind of, uh, uh, I guess after it had come out, but
1: you know when it was still sort of like circulating around. I think I read, I've read things he's written before, but I recall something to do with, I want to say there was a huge Smashing Pumpkins thing that he wrote that was like yeah. really scathing, for reading yeah. stuff like that, but um, I don't recall reading this one at least offhand, uh, but anyway, I think it's just kind of interesting the idea that um, when he spoke about in relation to Albini, the idea of passing on the Albini <laughs> in utero was uh, was amusing to me, and I kind of can't believe it. Um, yeah, that was and the idea awesome. that they were going to actually do that, like the label was going to actually sanction the idea of like putting out two versions of the record, is just so weird to me. Like I don't even, I still don't understand how that would have flown. I guess one on vinyl, which in the '90s at that time to major label probably didn't mean anything. But
0: yeah, like um, I think you would see it now happen very easily. You know, there's like yeah, you know not to simple. bring up this other thing with Matador, and obviously you know, but it was written about in the Pitchfork article um, years ago about Jay and Jay's passing. But there's two versions of the Jay's final record on Matador. There was a version oh, okay. that he really liked, and then there's a version that the label wanted more. Um, and he went back and rewrote it. Um, and like, you know, I talked to him about it at the time and he was, he was bummed, but not like, it wasn't like he was like, you know, emphatic that it had to be this other version. Um, and, and there was a, there was a talk at, for a while that this other version was going to come out in some other uh, fashion. Okay. Um,
1: huh. I never yeah. knew that, but that's funny. You mentioned you're the watch me fail record. I'm guessing. Yeah. Speaking yeah. Of. yeah. Yeah, see, I never – it's funny you say that because I do like that record, but I do find it um, sonically not entirely what I prefer of what he did. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of get that.
0: I remember him telling me it was
1: going to be a a, a 10-inch you wanted to do. I always got confused because as soon as you mentioned that, I was like, okay, they put it out, but they didn't. I was thinking of the Blood – it's called Blood Demos. It's like the Blood Visions, whatever. It's like a 7-inch – that has different versions, but that's not what we're speaking of. Did Maddor put that out? No, no, no. I just oh, heard okay. like
0: someone else. Some label. That. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I, I like, I love that period of Jay. I would love to have heard his version of that record. Um, yeah. You know, to see what that would have been like. Uh, but you know, it, it, and it might still come out one day, who knows? Um, but well, I like, I don't know like the weird. version that came out. I like too, but it, yeah, I can see, you know, there were critiques for it at the time that it was not i don't know maybe what people expected
1: well in one way you could view it as it's it's um in theory it is a um the progression of his career it is the most slick recording i think that he's released um but consequently i'm not as big big a fan of it as other recordings but like so, a rough version, perhaps that he would have done himself or whatever. That isn't as polished. I probably would prefer. However, I'm with you. Like it's a great listen. It's a great record. But um, yeah, I'd never heard that before, though. That's interesting. So the idea, yeah, I think just it was
0: like, only going to be a 10 inch too, which would mean it would have been shorter. But maybe it was only a couple songs that were going to be on it that weren't on the. Oh, you meant
1: down to down to song selection even? Now I wasn't aware of that. Okay. That's yeah, it was funny. like it was a very. It was apparently like a,
0: I don't know. Like I remember talking to him about a time, and this is once again a hazy memory from back then. Um, yeah. But there was there was talk at the time where he's like, "Yeah, this is a very you know, it was it's like I had a different record."
1: Huh, that's so. interesting. Because the only situations like that that I'm aware of, I'm sure there are many that we're not citing. I don't know about how many within punk, let's say, but like on the, on the Nirvana and Euro topic of like the whole recordings that could have been different or whatever. Um, the only other one I remember, and it was just bootleg, so far as I know is the, uh, the Stooges raw power, rough power thing where it's like the non Bowie raw power or whatever that people like the purists prefer. Um, which to this day I don't own. I don't even know if I've heard it. Um, kind of curious to hear it, but, uh, so
0: I just find That's those what I'll kind say about d- streaming services, go, the stooges stuff that you can go through on the streaming services are fucking awesome. Cause there's just like so many bootlegs and so many, like, they're not bootlegs, I guess they're official, but like just yeah. like, un, like weird other recordings and other versions. And so like I was going through, I was into like 20 different versions of a got to write or
1: something the other day. <laughs>
0: But anyway, um, but yeah, you go through all their stuff, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of, but you're, you're right. There's that's, that, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm not going to say who, but someone at one label that we were on one time, uh, nearly refused to put out a record or like said they were going to refuse to put a record. Cause they didn't want my voice on it on the whole thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure um, about that.
0: So like, there's like, there's, there are incidents that happen like that, you know?
1: Um, there are the like... thing I don't get about opinions like that, though. So back to the Nirvana thing, really quick, digressing off what you just mentioned. Yeah, I don't get the idea, like like when you're a label and you sign a band, like for one, you would. I, I realize that there's like you know a band to a label, like in a in a corporate sense, is certainly a commodity. But um, the idea that like like you sign this group for a reason, you kind of know what sonically to expect, and it's not to suggest that let's say Nirvana or let's say in your case like fucked up everything that you guys have released has been indicative of what you do. You know what I mean? It's not like it's, you you do a lot of like epic sort of left field kind of stuff, but it's not stuff that wouldn't be expected in my opinion. So this idea that people kind of want to change aspects of bands trajectories, I don't really, I've never grasped that personally. I I still don't quite understand that, but I suppose it's because of why I've never worked in the music industry. Um, But yeah, I, I just think that's a very weird thing. So this Nirvana thing, them talking about doing two versions, I still think it's just so weird because like, why would you, you know, if you know what's going on with the band and you know the way they want to work or like who they're going to record with, the idea of not being happy with it just seems like ridiculous when you kind of know what you're getting into, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's all.
0: Yeah. Like, I think like, it's so weird when you talk about like media on a professional level, like any sort of like media thing that happens on sort of, sort of professional kind of like, scale because there's stakes, right? Yeah. Like, you know, with Nirvana, especially not so much with fucked up, but definitely with Nirvana. <laughs>
1: and probably with <laughs> No, Jay you don't T- want to compare yourself to Nirvana. No, <laughs> but, J- but certainly with Jay
0: too to a certain extent, there's stakes, right? Like there's like multiple people whose job depends on the, these records hitting or being successful on some level. And they don't yeah, have to be I like, like the- you know, monsters or anything, but like they have to hit on some, some level.
1: Well, I think the Nirvana one—it's very obvious to me that because when I listen to that record back, I mean, I know we 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 actually get criticized from a few people that we're <laughs> we're pals with about how much we talk about Nirvana on the show sometimes, but yeah. Um, regardless, when you listen to that in utero record, it's very harsh, like comparatively at moments. Well, that was a reaction so,
0: record too, right? Like they were reacting yeah. to their success of that hundred percent by that.
1: Charge. I very yeah, I, I very much feel it was so. I get, like, on a, whatever, on, like, a major label stance of, like, wanting a more palatable thing that isn't so edgy or whatever, but at the same time, like, you didn't sign that group to be, you know, I don't know, something, like, very up the middle and very safe, so it's just this funny, I, I just think it's kind of the psychosis of the music industry in and in a corporate sense, it's always very funny that way to me, like, I don't understand where I don't understand the idea of like trying to, you know, for lack of a better uh, way to put it, like trying to water down the rock and roll that you apparently wanted initially. It doesn't make any sense to me. But um, I think it's because you're, you're desperate.
0: Yeah, I think it's because you're desperate for like you need you need that success. You need something to, you need money to come in. You know, like we're talking about those labels that have a hard time scaling up. You know, like yeah, the, you got to maintain. You know, like a a certain level of success, a certain level of sales. You know, I understand now a lot better than I did before about why bands get dropped and why labels have to like like (laughs) change focuses, you know, because it's hard. It's hard to like maintain that success. And it's a machine, right? Like, you know, it's a content machine.
1: Yeah, I I get it too. I just mean like from a music lover standpoint as a, as like an idealist or, I'm not one but at least musically I'd like to believe I am. You know, it just seems like silly to me to try and change a beast that you like because it's the beast you like. You know what I mean? You yeah. like it's it's just such a like a a counterintuitive uh rationale to me and uh again probably why I've never been in a successful band or worked in the music industry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh you know like it well I guess that's probably also why Gerard has multiple labels.
1: Yeah, that's true too.
0: Good point. You know, like you, he, he probably has to do, like, I imagine doing one, two XU. There's a lot less demands on what he does. And so he's able to do records that uh, might be a little riskier that wouldn't necessarily play on Matador and stuff that he imagined like, you know, hits with him that he doesn't have to run through, you know, Patrick and Chris and, you know, obviously beggars as well
1: yeah it's it's funny because we were speaking about that recently, like I wasn't aware of his involvement in that label. I'd vaguely known about it because of that newest dark blue record but um yeah i I think that's an interesting way of compartmentalizing sort of what he's interested in or whatever on a professional level, but it's just unfortunate that it can't be you know something that could be just all on you know one thing or whatever um but I don't know much. Like I don't know much about what that label's done, really, apart from the the modern stuff. Is it a new thing, or how long has he been doing it?
0: No, he's been doing it for a long time, and it is like, God, you want to talk about a label that reflects the taste again of Gerard, um, in a in a much more, I don't know, uh, like interesting way. You know, like I think this is like you know more than what Matador has you know, I don't like, I'm not talking shit on matador. I shouldn't say that, but like more than matador is this, I think is more the extension of the, uh, the label that Homestead was.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking it up now and that's definitely the vibe I'm getting, which just makes me think like, how much does this man know in his mind? Oh God, dude, I love it's, that. there's a young, dude, young Governor doing,
0: release. I no have idea. you listened to the wrestling podcast? I did with them. Cause I know you're not as big a fan of the wrestling. No, stuff. I have not.
1: I have not. Have you listened to it? No, I haven't.
0: no dude. You got like, he was at WrestleMania one, you know, (laughs) know. and he still goes to wrestling shows every week. Like he still goes to every wrestling show, but more than that, he knows more about every sport than most people. Like he, he loves sports. Like he does. uh can't stop the bleeding is the blog, the sports blog he did. Uh, I think he still does it. And it's, like in hilarious, and he knows tons about basketball, like you can go about basketball, you can go about you can even talk about hockey, I think a little bit nice you know so now and you're, you're talking ende- about football too you' are you like endearing- soccer
1: you're endearing him to my heart now,
0: but- well, that's what I'm saying, like this is a guy that can like really uh you know like really go about music,
1: yeah, but this label I think you're bang on and stating, and uh. Again, a lot of this I'm not I'm familiar with vaguely a lot of the names of these groups are for certain things of passing, but a lot of these releases I don't vividly remember. Um <clears throat> but the yeah, it's got a very homestead vibe in the sense of like kind of the the type of groups he's gravitating toward on this. Including the the one I mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, huh. he's got he's got like obviously you know you're a huge fan of them and they they are really sick and andy's obviously a huge homie too but dark blue is you know certainly at this point you know maybe the most high profile thing he's done um but like you know like he's he's done fucking craig bell reissues he's done like
1: well even the spoon stuff i'm seeing on here all that stuff i've seen that uh yeah, I've seen a lot of these records in passing just not uh, equating them to any specific label for whatever reason. But yeah. Yeah, yeah no, he's Very he's cool. definitely... The the Stickman
0: with Ray Guns reissue, if you're going to go and pick yeah. anything on this label, pick up all the Stickman with Ray Guns stuff he did, because that's like the first Texas punk stuff.
1: Yeah, that was the, the one thing I was going to mention too. It's wild, but yeah, so, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Dude's a beast. He's got tons of... Uh, Tons of interest. I had no idea that he also, like I mentioned earlier, put out a separate Young Gov record. Had no idea. Yeah.
0: yeah. Huh. No, he's 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 down with like, he goes to more shows. Like he goes to like, you know, if you follow him on Instagram or I don't know if he wants his Instagram out there, so I'm not going to say <laughs> what it is. Uh, but he posts pictures of like, just like random punk shows at Beerland in Austin. You know, like huh. he, he loves music, like really loves music in a way that very few people do. And just like the fact that he's able to find enough time to love, you know, sports and, you know, like a real art, like wrestling is just incredible. You know yeah. like how, like I, like I, I live in awe of him as a fan. For sure. Um, I don't know. Next point.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think, I don't know if that was mine. We kind of talked about Nirvana and they'll be, you're yeah, right. So we just went, we went off up. on uh then a weird, tangent hole there
0: but uh uh god we could get to uh
1: (laughs) well can i just point out that your (laughs) your outline this week must have let me just count them here one two three four five and i guess five of whatever many points that mentioned Alex. (laughs) yeah we gotta talk about Gigi. let's get to the gg (laughs) I just found it funny. I kept reading. It's like, Gigi, Gigi,
0: Gigi. (laughs) Yeah, it was just so much about Gigi.
1: (laughs) So it's ironic that you mentioned this because there was a story that I thought Gerard was going to tell because you would sort of, you tease me with little things of mentioning about how, you know, a guest will mention something and often don't go about, tell me the story directly so I'm kind of anticipating. Yeah. And uh, there was a story you were mentioning which, of course, he went in length about a lot of stories like playing in that band but, Um, I recently just randomly ended up watching this on YouTube. There's another, um, and I don't know if you've seen this, a YouTube, uh, I I don't know if it came out on YouTube though. It seems like it came out in the the later 2000s. So my guess is it's strictly a YouTube thing, but, uh, it's another GG documentary thing, but it's like, it's like fan done. Um, I'm I'm trying to find it I'm going to try and find the title. It's only like 28 minutes or something. It's It's got a lot of stuff from like the um, the end of Hayden and whatnot. Uh, I don't know why the hell I can't find it now. Anyway, there's is a, Merle there's a new, in it. Is like, it like sanctioned? murals in it. It's new. It's, uh, God, I can't find it. I'll try and look it up. But anyway, so I happen to have just watched a few of these. But there was a story mentioned in it, which is... Funny knowing sort of what Gerard was speaking about now, um, about how uh, they're talking about how like you know contentious a character he was, and but also kind of uh, tempering it with the idea that he was very different off stage and blah blah blah. And one of the things they mentioned though was that uh, as far as his music career he kept trying to push like his extreme nature, and at the this person was quoted as mentioning at the when they signed to Homestead. That he "quote unquote" pissed on Gerard, uh, which was the story I thought Gerard was going to tell, but uh, he did not. So I don't know. We're gonna have
0: have Gerard on to uh, to uh, tell you know check fact check that rumor.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to. uh, I don't think Gerard would have taken
0: been down with that, you
1: know. (laughs) I don't think so either, but it was, I'm trying to think of the interview, like the, there's the person, it's not a talking, like it's someone who's being interviewed yeah. or mentioning this. and I don't remember what the name was, uh, but I will find this documentary and, uh, I will get back to you. I'll send it to you so you can reference it. But I, I, I just was randomly as you get lost in the YouTube, uh, you know, the whole of the internet, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, just watch this random 20 minute documentary and it's kind of an interesting fan thing. Uh, but again, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, And I will find it for you and or the folks eventually.
0: I also got to say the best Gigi Allen story ever, ever is coming up next week on the show from (laughs) Terry T.
1: Yes. You've sort of previewed that one to me too.
0: Holy Uh, fuck. That's the Gigi Allen story to end all Gigi Allen stories. (laughs) And it also refutes all that shit you hear about how offstage he was such a different dude.
1: Yeah. I I uh oh here it is the I just found the link it's called Live Fast Die Very appropriate Okay the G.T. Allen story short documentary 2009 and if okay. you look it up it's pu- it was published in 2014 and uh it was a college student that made it ironically uh from, So it so was hated, uh, that, was so Todd, was hated well. to,
0: that was Todd Phillips but, uh, uh, college movie
1: Yeah it took almost 3 years to produce due to funds and it was done by someone from Toronto, Canada, according to this. Whoa, what, was the name? Damien. Doesn't have a name. Well, Jay Macbeth is who published it online. <laughs> I don't know who. Uh, okay. You might recognize him. I don't know. But either way, um, there's interesting parts in this. and It's got some different things, too. But there is more recent oral interviews and a ton of other things. Um, it gives some insight to Jabber stuff, which I think is interesting. Um, like, yeah, like I, the, the, I, I'm like, you know, Gigi is, is, such
0: a horrible human being as kind of alluded to yeah. by Gerard, like by his own actions, you know, like, and I'm not, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but at yeah. the same time he did like a lot of terrible shit caught on camera. Um, yeah. but at the same time, there's few more fascinating characters to emerge from this community than Gigi Allen. Yeah, exactly.
1: And th- this is not like I- I'm not harping on about this to glorify how amazing. No,
0: I know, and I I, I wasn't saying that because no, just because no, no, no. of you, but I meant I even felt that because in the coming weeks, you know, the the GG content is going to be thick on this show. <laughs> so let's not get Happy, it. Happy New
1: Year, folks. Happy New Year.
0: Yeah, let's not get it. Let's not get it twisted, as the kids would say. This yeah. is a hundred percent, Louis. Like we understand what GG is and was. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it's like, you know, how can you not want to find out more, like, about, like, especially that early period? Cause, like, as, as, as my, one of my current obsessions on this show is, uh, Gigi Allen might be the only case ever of someone, like, reverse selling out as far as, like, musical direction goes.
1: <laughs> like,
0: devolving. <That's> a- <laughs>
1: Well, it's funny you mention that. I really want you to watch this, and then we'll discuss it. But uh, it's interesting because I think this little doc does a really good job of, of talking about that specifically because it talks about that first record. It talks about even his first um, solo record, which I'm not terribly familiar with, and it's not the one on uh, Homestead. There's another one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and it basically talks about how he devolves after that. It's There's sort of like a, a, a failure of uh, – I don't know what the word is. Like there, there's – I don't know if it's just due to his antics or whatever it was. But basically there's there's like a, a hurdle that he doesn't seem to get over and that's where the music evolves from that point. But uh, it's interesting, uh, the take in this little doc.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting just everything about the <laughs> cheech and his career and his art. And what was with that photo you sent me today?
1: Um, yeah. Like, what's the story on it? Do you know the story on that photo? So the only thing I could find, I just looked it up because again, this was an interesting story that Gerard told. But when Gerard's speaking, and unless there's two people with the same name that I'm not aware of, but um, it, uh, Gerard mentions him uh, punching out or sucker punching, as he said, uh, Martin Atkins. Now, Martin Atkins, do you, if you don't know who that is, Dave, yeah, I that's don't. what I
0: was like. Is it the same?
1: I didn't even ask Gerard at the time, but it's the same Martin Atkins from Pill. I would, yeah, I would assume, and I. The only thing I couldn't understand when he's telling the story is because I think he tells a story and it's Boston-centric or or something. Yeah. So is that the Rat, right? He said it happened, I think. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the, it, I was a bit – well, it's not confusing in a way because Martin Atkins ends up at least at a point uh, – I don't know if he lived in Chicago, but definitely the record label that he spawned, Invisible Records, was out of Chicago. So I don't know if maybe he had a connection in that era and was going to gigs around there or maybe he was in Boston for a minute or whatever. But um, – Anyway, I assumed it was the same Martin Atkins, uh, yeah. as in not, not a different Martin Atkins. But I found a photo just looking up because I, I thought, is this the same guy? This doesn't seem to make any sense. And uh, yeah, I sent you a photo of a bloody-nosed Martin Atkins, which is from an old uh, MySpace thing that I sourced. And it just – yeah, it appears to be him from the moment – after he got punched out or something. So I just found it interesting, like these little tidbits of history that I wasn't aware of. I wouldn't have ever thought they really had any uh, crossover. Yeah, because when he said
0: he punched out Martin Atkins, I just didn't put it together that it was Martin Atkins, you know, like pill-killing joke
1: at all yeah. Martin Atkins. Well, because if you think of him in that sense, it kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah. But then when you think of it in like, well, he goes to Chicago eventually and then he starts pig face, and he does all this other stuff, yeah, Like yeah. It, you're like, okay, well, maybe they played together or, or whatever, like had some kind of... The thing I don't understand is what <laughs> what had he done to elicit... I mean, I guess maybe he didn't do anything, but it seemed to be like a, a, like a specific grievance, which is what I think is really interesting that Gerard doesn't really... Uh, hint on in the, in the interview at least. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I should have followed and, up on it. In retrospect, you know, that's one of the ones that got away. I'm going to, that's per, that this is for all for part three. Well, you and got two to, to bring up
1: there. Yeah. Like, watch this you doc know. and then you'll have a few more, maybe. But yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, like that. <laughs> I met Martin Atkins years ago too at the like, uh, yeah. Halifax Pop
1: Explosion. Oh, ah, okay. I, I met him. Uh, in Toronto, like, in the late 90s once. Actually, sorry, I shouldn't say that twice. He did spoke a spoken word thing in this area once. I have friends with him. I have friends who are friends with him, so I've met yeah. him a couple times.
0: Yeah, interesting um, guy.
1: Yeah, good interview.
0: Oh, amazing. I should definitely try and get him on the show. Yeah. Um, it'd be incredible to have him on. But that is, you know, another example why Gigi, kind
1: of a dick. <laughs> well, I want to hear the story of the context, because my thought is that, that is it something that I just, the idea that, that, uh, and I suppose we shouldn't be surprised by any of this anymore, but like, I like, was Martin even aware of Gigi and why would he care? I just don't like, was it something like he didn't like Gigi and that where it happened or they just, yeah. I don't know. The yeah. whole thing is full of questions for me. But anyway, uh, I thought that story was amusing. Yeah. That's the photo I sent you. Um, and well, I didn't is find any if future
0: behaviors, on. any predictor of past behavior, uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Like yeah, and then yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> totally. But either way, so that was the that was the photo I sent you, and uh, yeah. So I don't know what else we wanted to talk about as far as the the controversy.
0: Gigi, <laughs> what well, can we get to about Gigi? I don't like. What was your first exposure to Gigi
1: Allen? Oh, good lord! Probably one of these talk shows. I remember once catching. Yeah, Raldo. Yeah, it was one of the ones I think he was on. I don't remember though if I. Heard knew like, i don't know if he did more than one this is what i always get confused about but i definitely saw one i don't know if he's i'm assuming he's probably on more than once but uh i caught one at some point and then uh just kind of thought it was wild like i was into extreme music at that time already as like a dumb adolescent and just was kind of like still perplexed by this like individual that <laughs> seems so insane yeah and uh and then, for whatever reason, there was uh, stores in my area that it carried, Like at the time when like tape trading was a thing, like like VHS VHS tape trading, pardon me, was a thing. There was like that kind of stuff going around. So that that was always like the, you know, the speakeasy kind of like crazy stuff you could see or whatever. And then it was always like the funny part about it is I've always thought the footage was extremely underwhelming. I don't know if you've had that experience, like. It's never Uh, as crazy as people say. It's pretty fucking crazy, Chris. Well, it's crazy. Like it's it's crazy, but it's crazy in a. It's not what I expected. I expected like you know like death metal style like gore or something. And when I first saw this, I was was like, oh, this dude's just. It it does have like a very. It's certainly arty, and it's certainly not clever, but it's it's got more of like a. like a, uh, whatever, like a weird art, like performance art vibe that I just, as a youngster didn't really connect with.
0: Well, yeah, he got kind of swallowed up in that scene, you yeah. know, that, that like performance art video scene. Um, you know, he got, he was like kind of, uh, you know, real about it for a while. Like he, in you know, like there's that videotape, the affliction tape that I think has come up on the show a couple of times, which has like Michael Henneke and stuff. And, and, uh, any sprinkle on it. And Gigi has a section on that. It would challenge anyone's definition of art, (laughs) but (laughs) he has a section on that.
1: Well, well, it's just, I mean, of course it's extreme because I couldn't envision doing any of it, but I just mean in terms of like, I don't know, like like the idea of like brutalizing oneself on stage is, is sort of like, I don't know. When you look at post
0: Gigi, right? Like everyone you see now from like, when the dude from Hoax did it to I did it to like anyone has ever done it on stage, you're doing it in like a post GG context. Unless you're talking about Iggy Pop or, or like, uh, Dead Boys or yeah, yeah. Darby Crash or like someone yeah. like that. Like, you know, that's, but also that to me is like much more arty and romantic the way they're doing it. Like, I mean, romantic in like, uh, you know, when GG's doing it's ugly.
1: Yeah, agreed. I think again this that recent doc thing I I found, I think contextualizes the sort of the the end years uh decently for a little like quick little doc thing. And I think that's the more um the years of his death like kind of that the sort of post-prison Gigi as it's as it's termed is interesting because it's basically an entirely different animal to the um earlier part not entirely but like different enough at least uh what he was sort of trying to achieve if that makes any sense yeah Um, no i agree so there's i just had never thought about things in this nuanced sense in terms of his uh dare i say career however you want to frame whatever his life was um yeah i don't know but uh he's what i will say is it's something that i continue to uh, wrestle with why I haven't any, any intrigue about into my adult years um, because it's something I thought I'd fully given up caring anything about and clearly I'm still reconciling something I don't know what it is um, <laughs> so so yeah take that as it is I think I think it's just intriguing to see people that are like so you know live life in a certain way whether or not I think it's despicable or not I, I think it's just and there, there's an intrigue there I don't know what it is
0: yeah, it's really, it's, there. there's a, I don't know, there's like an intrigue with them, I think, because there's an intrigue with the whole, anyone that's willing to do that, you know, anyone who thinks that's their path to fame, too, in any way, Um, it, it's it's intriguing. Like, anyone who's going to, like, suffer that much for their art, and, you know, like, we've, as much as I kind of joke about G.G. G. Allen, like, you know, whether or not it's art, but, like, you know, it, it was creative, there was a creative energy there.
1: Well, and I mean, the, the, yeah, it's it's not entirely dismissible, if that makes any sense to say, as much as it doesn't serve any real purpose either. Like, if someone never heard any of it, I'm sure they would be fine, <laughs> contextually, but or saw any of it, more importantly. But uh, I think it's just what, what it breathes to me is that I came into it, you know, probably around the time that you were hearing about it, too, in like that sort of early 90s, maybe late 80s, probably early 90s is my guess, Mm -hmm. uh, of the talk show, like exploitive uh, world. And sort of seeing him in that context solely and then sort of the end of his life more or less, which is the only period I'm really familiar with or was up to a point in my life. Like now thinking of the whole body of of sort of what he was doing like before – it is interesting. I mean, it's it's sort of your atypical self-destructive punk rock narrative in many ways. Obviously, it's more extreme, but um, it's not all that dissimilar, though, to uh, like a Sid Vicious or uh, whatever, I guess, Darby Crash or whatever the tragic figures one wants to.
0: Yeah, like know. I think Gigi, like he he blazed a path of destruction longer than any of the, True. The, either those guys and more deliberately – than either of those guys, you know, like he would go to I prison agree. and get out and just do it again. Like, you know, like Sid got out and OD'd, um, you know, Darby, you know, OD'd, it, it, it like, obviously ultimately O'Ds, but like, it's like his, it seems like Gigi's OD was, you know, a mistake. Whereas the other two, you know, conspiracy theories aside, um, were, seemed like a lot more deliberate
1: yeah I get what you mean I, I totally i think I think the only thing I was trying to say there was just that it's it's um it's all systematic of the same kind of like uh, whatever uh, for lack of a better term illness that uh, these individuals suffer from and it's was a bit more exploitive or a lot more exploitive in the Gigi sense but I don't think if you look at sort of the way he was in terms of like up against these other people you know he was equally troubled early on quite obviously so mm-hmm. so i think that that informs what happens later again to no excuse or to no uh i don't know whatever you want to say i'm not trying to uh yeah anyway. justify it or yeah yeah, yeah certainly yeah. not trying to justify it <laughs> but but uh but i think the one important thing that i think we should discuss in terms of this topic the idea of you mentioning that someone doing the family tree of, of people that had been in the band or worked with—I think that's what's interesting in hindsight, mm-hmm. because I can't even imagine someone like this now, like a figure like this existing in this modern era, and getting that many kind of notable people to work with over a career. No,
0: there wouldn't be. There would like, but like you know, that's. I think it speaks to the fact that these people weren't notable at that time. You know, like like maybe Thurston Moore would have been like the coup if he had gotten if he'd been able to play with Thurston Moore. Um but yeah. like Jay Jay was like, you know, decidedly less of a cultural icon than he is now. Yeah, but and to be honest, Graham Jay wasn't. Jay would probably still play with him now. Like if he was around now, I could Jay was the one guy that would be like
1: <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I'm playing Graham with was. this
0: guy that throws shit at people in the crowd this weekend.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you think though, dude, and I, I realize that the, the, this individual has had quite the trials and tribulations on a personal level. But Wayne Kramer was a very notable, like you know, <laughs> part of rock history. You know, what I mean, the fact that he played in that band—that's kind of crazy for a second or on a recording, whatever it was. Yeah, D. D. Ramon. Yep.
0: I mean, there's but a like few. I, also, those stars. guys were just down on their luck. I think in a real, like, those were like real low points for these guys too. Oh no, I agree. And. But, and they hitch themselves to, you know, the guy that had been in Geraldo. And no, it's I crazy. Know. I think, I think. I, I kind of think, I just, I think it speaks more to the time too.
1: Yes, totally. Like, I think the saying. DD part, the DD part in Hated might oh, be so the biggest oh. window into like how dark things got in the 90s. <laughs> like when people kind of didn't care about punk or like uh, that sort of world. Yeah. And, yep. Yeah. Uh, I think that like that's a good represent good representation. If people are not aware of that, definitely watch that documentary. And just even for that part, but it's a great documentary. Actually,
0: I think the Ramones um, post breakup, like when when Johnny lost his like iron grip on everyone, um, is is it's not it's not pretty, you know. And obviously that's pre Ramones breakup, that thing with Dee Dee. But like I'm just thinking like the Howard Stern appearances. Maybe yeah. the Howard Stern appearances. Those are really what stand out to me. But like, it, it, it kind of like, you know, and I remember like that time that I keep bringing up, um, when I met him and he, it was like around, I think one of the first Howard Stern things had happened. He's like <clears throat> fucking embarrassing themselves or <laughs> something like that. Wow. Just, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's... um, I, I don't know. I just... I don't know how we got on this digression of a digression of a digression, but... I think um, we're
0: talking about all the people that played with Gigi Allen and I forced it oh, down Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: The, the, path. One, the yeah. But it's just... Oh, the, the one thing I wanted to mention, too, the the one record he mentions which has a very contentious title on Homestead, but it's the one where he was talking about the, the Boston-Massachusetts band or, or, like, related to that geographic area as yeah. opposed to the one he was playing in. Um, that features and let me look it up, but it features the, um, the now past member from, uh, out cold in the lineup.
0: Oh, that's the man he played. That's the lineup he was in.
1: Yeah. And oh, he actually the, played he on a record. record. I didn't know he actually played on a record. That's fucking. Crazy. Yeah. I don't know if he's on the whole record, but he's definitely on a part of the session and it is on the record. It's the freaks. So-and-so and so-and-so yeah. record, yep. if you know, the title. Um, I'm just trying to find it now, but, uh, yeah, he's in, uh, he's definitely on it. Um, and I'm just trying to find his credit on it as I'm looking it up. But, yeah, as he mentioned that, I was curious, because when you kind of broached that subject, I was wondering if Gerard was in that same lineup with him. Yeah,
0: that would have been amazing Um, if he was.
1: I don't believe he was. But, yeah, his guitar, Mark Sheehan, uh, is on uh, four tracks on it. That's crazy.
0: I had no idea he actually had a credit on a record. I I knew he played in a lineup of – but you're right. Like it is – you know truly like uh one of those bands that you know speaks to you know the pre-nirvana and i guess immediately kind of post-nirvana but like still pre-nirvana hangover uh world that <laughs> someone could exist in
1: yeah there's uh i totally forgot too the in that i feel like it's in this document it must be cuz i don't know where the hell i would have found this too um but there is a uh, speaking of the Nirvana Gigi thing, which is the overwhelming theme of this footnote, apparently. Um, well, there the was overwhelming theme
0: of the episode, to be honest, too? Yeah,
1: true. It's like a Gigi there Allen sandwich. <laughs> there was apparently a meeting between those two. Can you believe that? Between what? A, G- a Gigi Cobain meeting once. Really? Facilitated by a member of the Flaming Lips, of all people. Wow. If so wow. you do some Google searching, but I believe it's talked about in this doc, which is where I think I found it. I think you've seen, seen a photo video. of that, actually, now that you bring that up. I believe it was when he's in prison. I think the, I think the rumor is that they visited yeah. him in prison while on tour. And uh, I don't know what era of Nirvana this would have been, but if I think prison, actually like, Dave talked about that.
0: Yeah. So, so, I don't know. Now, this is, now I'm wishing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is deep cuts into the into the early hours for yeah. the people who've listened this far. This is the nuggets you get from us eventually. Damien and I spitballing. Yeah. Uh, as a thing, as just a quick uh, painted picture for anyone that cares to, this existed for what probably seventy-two hours of straight conversation <laughs> over that <Yeah>. tour.
0: <laughs> oh my god, dude. <laughs> we had we had like we could have kept the mic running for the whole thing. We yeah. got ourselves in a lot of trouble with some of the conversations we were having.
1: <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that was my little. I feel like I've uh, I've, I've exhausted my uh, knowledge on this topic. But uh, I think so too. That's, that's a big ending for people who want to search on it.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. I think it's in like
1: the Flaming Lips. One of the Flaming Lips guys has a memoir, I believe.
0: I just a story in it. Yeah, I looked it up too. It's like this whole thing. Um, you can look up, there's a Loudwire article about it that I clicked on because that was the first thing that came up on Google. I'm sure there's other people that have written about it too. but Yeah. Apparently. It says
1: 1990. It was the year. And there was someone who wrote, yeah, it's like one of, I believe it was one of the Flaming Lips members or former members had written a memoir, and that's where the story came from or comes from. Yeah. Anyway. Weird. Yeah. Wow. And it went atypically poorly. <laughs> yeah
0: i think the fact that Gigi allen and john wayne gacy were friends is one of the most disturbing things
1: yeah that's a weird one well not terribly weird i guess but uh but yeah it's like and fucked up that like john wayne one.
0: gacy connects like gg allen through john wayne gacy you can connect oprah to kurt cobain obviously via Gigi allen now too but because <laughs> Oprah owns yeah. a, G- a John Wayne Gacy painting oh boy I don't know if she sells it you know, in her of, House but a lot of
1: people did though I remember hearing other celebrities that had owned those over the years yeah it was a thing to do uh, <laughs> Jesus um anyway yeah there's uh I guess I should put an allegedly in front of that Oprah owns a
0: John Wayne Gacy painting <laughs> but yeah, yeah so allegedly allegedly allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> um but I think uh, anything else you want to get to, Chris?
1: No, no, I'm good. Good with all that. I don't know what you want to talk. about. There's like so much more off. to get to. We
0: could get to for this one, but uh, uh, I guess we got to talk about Courtney Love because that's the other one that comes up a lot in this episode.
1: Oh yeah, we we were gonna we spoke about this before we started recording, so I think we need to to extrapolate on that one. Yeah, yeah.
0: On. So the infamous Courtney Love, uh, Kurt Cobain gerard cosloy graffiti in their apartment <laughs> um which i don't know Was that explained in other places demystified before in other places
1: i had never heard it but what i will say is that gerard um burst my bubble in that i had hoped it was a homage of like of of reverence for him yeah,
0: yeah. say that's uh, what i always thought it was too and that's what yeah, the internet has always led me to believe
1: yeah. And so I was, uh, when I saw that documentary, I don't know, did I bring that up to you when I saw it? Uh, um, maybe, or maybe you already knew, Maybe but when I, I saw it, it, it kind of blew my mind. Cause there's, the documentary we're speaking of of course is Montauk, on Kurt Cobain and sort of the latter end years specifically. Um, actually it's this whole, whatever, you know, formative years, but it deals a lot with the, the end period with, with Courtney. Um, Anyway, there's the the footage is on there where all these photos are, I think are from, are on the internet which show the graffiti. Um, but what I found specifically interesting was when Gerard mentioned not only him, but that was it was a point of contention, and that he mentioned the K Records one, which I find very peculiar as well, and the Nation of Ulysses one, like really peculiar. Um, of all the choices of people to kind of like try and harpoon and just kind of interesting. Cause I would have, I would have assumed Kurt would have been a K records fan. For I would sure. have thought
0: too. And he has a K K records tattoo, but Chris, we're going to have to cut this short, continue this footnote another day because <laughs> Dorian's in here. He's just thrown up again. And I oh have boy. to, I have a baby to attend to or not all a right. baby, a big kid. Sorry, buddy. he you're a baby. Oh, you got puke in your hair, buddy. Oh, Oh, <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go tie this up. I'll talk to you oh, soon, man. Chris. Yes. Bye, everyone. Uh, get in touch with us where we sat at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Chris. All right, see you, dude.